And also, if you have your Bibles, we, are, we have been working through the book of Daniel. Daniel's in the Old Testament, so if you guys can get that, it's towards the end of the Old Testament. It's the book of Daniel, chapter 2. Daniel, chapter 2. And um, let me try and catch us up a little bit to where, to where um, we're picking up this morning. We're going to actually start reading in, in verse... Uh, 14, but so we're on the same page. Last week we, we talked about Daniel um, had graduated uh, as from the school of wise men, if you will. And if you remember back chapter 1, Babylon had conquered Israel, Judah, and dragged uh, the, the brightest, the best of the best um, back to Babylon, back to their, to their empire, back to their capital. And King Nebuchadnezzar um, had created this the system in which whenever he would conquer an area, he wanted the best of the best, the brightest of the brightest, and he would put them through like three years of schooling. And in this schooling, they would give them um, new names, new Babylonian names. They would, they would put them on a new diet. They would put them through this new education. The idea behind it, the mindset was they were going to, for lack of better words, brainwash these young people into becoming Babylonians to, to brace their culture, to brace their beliefs, um, their religion, everything. In the first chapter, we saw that Daniel did part of that. Like He, he was okay with giving a new name. Um, he was okay going through the schooling. But when it got down to where they began to, to change their diet, he stopped. He, he wouldn't partake in it. And there was this test that he was able to do where for 10 days he went eating just vegetables and drinking water. And then they compared him, his three buddies, to the rest of those in the school there. And they found out that, that Daniel and his three pals were ten times better than anybody else. And so they were allowed to continue for this, on, through this diet for the next three years. They graduate, and then they stand before Nebuchadnezzar all the graduates. And we don't know how, exactly how many, but there was probably a large number of, of people. And at this time, Daniel, when he leaves and heads to Babylon, he's, he's somewhere between probably the age of 12 and 15. So he's young. And after three years, again, he's probably in that 15 to 18 year range. And they stand before the king. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he is arguably the most powerful man to walk the face of the earth. Like, the Babylonian Empire was huge. It was massive. And he himself handpicked his counselors. And he himself would stand and he would look at this class and, and he would ask them questions and he would compare the students amongst each other. And the result was he found that Daniel and his three pals were ten times better than anyone else. Ten times better than even his own current wise men. And that's where chapter 1 ends. Chapter 2 picks up, and so we have this kind of this high, like everything's good, like there was a test, Daniel passed, everything is awesome. So end of chapter 1, great, things are good, we see God working, amazing, Woohoo! okay? And then chapter 2 picks up, and King Nebuchadnezzar starts having these dreams. Um, anybody in here ever have like a bad dream, and you start losing sleep over it? Anybody? You youth are too young to have that kind of stuff. Um, sometimes that happens. Sometimes we have bad dreams. Usually it's related to pizza late at night or something, right? But sometimes we have bad dreams. Like we, we have bad, and then we, 
And then we wake up, and then we, 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 can't, we can't go back to sleep. Um, last week, we talked a lot about anxiety. King Nebuchadnezzar, um, again, powerful, powerful king. And this occurs, chapter 2 begins in his third year of his reign. He hadn't been king for very long, powerful king. And he begins to wrestle, and as we get towards the end of this chapter, we'll find out. He begins to wrestle with this idea of how long is Babylon going to be this great empire? How long will I be king? How great of a king will I be? And, and all these pressures begin to mount on him. And one of the things I, I like about that first part of Daniel is it's a great reminder to us that we all face difficult circumstances. We all wrestle with things in life. It doesn't matter how powerful we are. It doesn't matter um, what positions we may hold. It doesn't matter how large our bank account is. It, all, when it comes to struggles in life, we all will wrestle with them. And we see that if, if, if Nebuchadnezzar, this powerful king, wrestled with something, then we're probably all going to wrestle with it. So he's wrestling with this. He's losing sleep over it. So he calls in his chief advisors, his, his best wise men. And he tells them that he's wrestling with something. He had a dream. And he wants these advisors to tell him what his dream was and what it means. And the advisors have a hard time with that. And they, they turn to him and they're like, okay, King, you tell us what the dream is, and then we'll tell you what it means. And I think Nebuchadnezzar is testing his wise men now. Most of these guys he had inherited from his dad, and he wants to put them to the test. I mean, if he were to tell them what the dream was, then they could come up with something, whatever it is. They could come up with something based off of what he said. But he wants to test how, how smart they are, how connected they are with their gods. Because if they can tell him what the dream was, he can verify that. And then he'll listen to what the dream may mean. Well, their response, they, and they try and flatter the king, like, well, you're great, you're mighty, you're amazing, king. Uh, just tell us what it means, king, and we'll, or just tell us what the dream is, and we'll tell you what it means a second time. And the king gets frustrated, and he says, listen, guys, um, if you can't tell me what the dream is and what it means, I'm going to kill all of you. I'm going to kill all of the wise men. Um, and then, not only am I going to just kill all of you guys, I'm going to take your homes, I'm going to turn them into garbage dumps. That's pretty intense, isn't it? So we obviously know that the king's wrestling with, with something that's creating a lot of anxiety in his life, and he begins to take it on these guys. And, and, and then you have these wise men who are following a, a, a false god, and, and, and the reality is they didn't have much faith in their false god. Because they, they go back to the king and said, King, no one has ever, ever, ever requested this before. Like, this is... This is like, our kings don't walk in the flesh with us. Like, or, or our gods don't walk in the flesh. They don't deal with us. Like, this is, a, this is beyond anything anyone could ever do. It's impossible. And so the king says, all right. He calls his, his Ariok, who's like the, the head of his guard and the chief executioner. And he calls him in, and he gives him the orders to go out and to kill all the wise men. I mean, not just the guys that couldn't answer. He wanted to collect all all of them. Everyone who graduated, who's, who's part of that class, every wise man of the nation, he wants dead. 
And so we're going to pick up in Daniel chapter 2, verse 14, which we, we talked about that last week, but we're, it's a good spot for us to start. I'm going to read through verse 24. So Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 14, it says this, And then Daniel repri- replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? And then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. Verse 16, And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint a, him a time that he might show the interpretation of, or to, the, to the king. Verse 17, And then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and you have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Verse 24 says, Therefore Daniel went out to Arioch, whom the king had appointed, to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show you the king's interpretation. I will show the king the interpretation. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for just the opportunity to gather together. And over the next few minutes as we dig into your word, God, I just ask that, that you meet us where we're at. I am convinced more and more that the topic that we spoke about last week, anxiety, um, quenches most of us. And this morning, or last week, we, we talked about a king who suffered from anxiety and then created anxiety in the lives of these false teachers, these false wise men, and, and they began to buckle under it. And they created a sense of anxiety And then we ended last week talking about this young Daniel who responded in faith and a calm spirit. Last week, we kind of left it there. We left it with just Daniel and his faithfulness. But this morning, God, as we try and take a deeper look into why Daniel was able to remain calm, we approach this idea of prayer and faith May, may you, this morning, allow this to become something that we all desire in our lives. May you draw us close to you. May you allow us to put this into practice. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. This morning, I, I want us to just look at this passage that we we read. Daniel 
last week as Ariok shows up at his doorsteps to collect him and take him to the rest of the wise men and, and have him killed. Daniel, it says in my version, with great prudence, began to have this conversation with Ariok. It reminds me much like chapter 1, like God creates this kindred spirit between a person of influence and Daniel. And Daniel just, in a calm way, asked Ariak, what's, what's the urgency? What's, why are we rushing through this so quickly? Well, explain this situation to me. And, and Ariak explains it to him. And again, we have to think through this a little bit from Ariak's perspective. Like, the king gave him an order. The mighty king, the, the one that, for all practical purposes, they're worshiping like a god. And so if, if the king gives an order... You better follow the order. And if you question the order, it probably is not going to bode well for you. And so just Ariok listening to Daniel is huge. And then after listening to Daniel, being that middleman to create this opportunity for Daniel to meet with King Nebuchadnezzar is big. And this there's a lot I think we can read into this. That in that course of those three years of him going through that schooling and all that, that Daniel had lived a life of, of high integrity. His, he had strong character. And so when Daniel spoke, the rest of the people listened. And again, guys, like think through this. Daniel's young. Like he probably hasn't hit 20 yet. He's still a teenager. And so Ariok goes to the king, and, and, and he creates this time. And Daniel asks for a, a little bit of time. Just give us some time to, to go to our God, to seek our God, and see what he says. Um, and so he does, and the king allows it. In this passage this morning, I think we see two, three primary things that we're going to look at. One's faith. Two's prayer. And the last part, we'll touch on at the end, is a heart for people. When we, we see this first part of faith, and really the faith and the prayer um, are, are, are intertwined. There's a lot of pressure on Daniel. The king's not in a playful mood. Uh, the, the other wise men attempted that game with, with him. They, they attempted flattery. They attempted to, to coerce him into giving him some information. The king was not going to play games. And so there's a lot of pressure on Daniel. And rather than Daniel being frantic, Daniel goes home, finds his buddies. And, and he's confidently tells Ariok, listen, you give me time, I will come back. I will tell the king what his dream was and what it means. I will give you everything you want. He's in a jam, isn't he? Like if we think through this situation, there's only one or two outcomes. He either gets the answer and saves the day, or he doesn't and off with his head. I'm not sure if you've ever been in a, a predicament before. where boldness is needed. And you know, the thing about boldness is it's never easy, is it? 
Like to take that, that step of faith, to be bold. Um, if it was easy, it wouldn't be called boldness, right? Uh, I, I was, as I was reading through this, I was thinking in the Old Testament, um, Elijah. If you were to look in 1 Kings, Elijah, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is, um, is you have this King Ahab, and, and they're worshiping this idol called Baal. And you read about Baal all throughout the Old Testament, right? He's one of the, the chief gods, and, and they're, they're worshiping this Baal, and, and Elijah's a prophet of God. And he's seen Ahab mock God. He's seen all these prophets mock God, and so he, he comes marching in, and he decides to have this little battle between gods, the battle between Baal and God. And, and so he, he demands that all these, these prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Baal, that they would come up to Mount Carmel, that they would build these altars, and they would cry out to their God, and that the God would bring fire. And so the Baal prophets would go first, and then Elijah would go next. And so you see, you, you, if you picture this, all these people are gathered because they want to see what's going to happen. You have these 450 prophets. They build this, this place that they could build a sacrifice, and, and they begin to cry out to their God. They're, they're dancing around. They're, they're shouting. And Bible even tells us that they begin to cut themselves. They're crying out for, for Baal to do something. And the whole time that they're doing this, Elijah is making fun of them. Now, remember, they're both going for the same thing. Like, they're both, gonna, they're both claiming that they can get their God to shoot fire from heaven to earth. Like, that's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? Like, I'm, as a pastor, I don't know that I can stand before you guys and say, listen, um, I'm going to bring fire on this plant. Let's go. I don't think I have that ability. And Elijah is mocking them. I mean, he's making fun of them while they're doing this. And nothing happens. And then it's Elijah's turn, and so he builds his altar. And then he calls for water. And he soaks it. And then he calls out to God. And God delivers this fire that it consumes everything around it. That is faith, isn't it? Um, I don't know if anybody's ever seen this uh, book, The Circle Maker. I read this uh, probably about two, maybe three years ago. Um, I'm going to reference it a couple times, I think, this morning. But if anybody's struggling maybe in their prayer life and, and, and you are looking for a resource, the Bible is the best resource. But this book is, is very compelling. And Mark Batterson makes this statement in the second chapter. He says, Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or your boldest prayers. He is offended by anything less. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they are insulting to God. Why? Because they don't require divine intervention. But ask God to part the Red Sea, or make the sun stand still, or float an iron axe head, and God is moved to omnipotent action. Isn't that an amazing thought? Like, 
I've mentioned this before in prayer. So often in my own prayer life, um, I can be scared to pray for the big things. Because there's a little bit of fear in my back of my mind that, that what if God doesn't answer? Like, like what if he doesn't give me what I hope for, what I pray for? And so much of my prayer life will be small, little, timid prayers or prayers that I'm giving God the way to answer. Like I've blueprinted the whole plan out. Okay, God, this is what I need you to do. I need you to do X, Y, and Z. I need it to be done by Friday, so I'm prepared to, to do it on Saturday. Like this is, this is the scope. This is the plan. Hike, whatever, go do it. Run the play. And I love that idea because God is a God of boldness. And here's the deal. As we'll see in Daniel's prayer, God doesn't answer our prayers, even our bold prayers, so much for us and our comfort. God does it to show his own glory. That's why I think what Mark Batterson, the author, is saying is like, when, when we ask the bold prayers, when we pray the bold prayers, when God lays something bold, big, huge on our hearts, and we give it to God, and God responds, and God answers, that's when the people around us, that's when people that don't know God, don't believe in him, they look back and they're like, Wow. Just like on that Mount Carmel, when, when Elijah calls down the fire, if you, if you were to go back in 2 Kings 18, at the very end, I'll, I'll read it, verse 38 says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offerings and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Verse 39 says, And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. See, it's in those bold moments when we see God show up, when we see God do these amazing things, it's undeniable to those around us. It brings glory to God and not to us. And so we see that and we realize that Daniel was a, a man of, of boldness, of, of great faith. We saw that in first chapter, we see that in this chapter. The next chapter, chapter 3, we're going to see his three friends show up with great faith. Uh, Daniel chapter 6, we see the result of his hard prayer life and God show up in a lion's den. So we know that Daniel was a man of, of great boldness, of great faith. But how did he get to that point? Like what made him be so strong in his faith. Because most of us will wrestle with this idea like, okay, I believe in God. I, I, I do. I, I believe in God. I, I mean, I've said a prayer. I mean, I believe that I'm a Christian. I'll read my Bible. I'll, I'll do these things. But when push comes to shove, like, there's a lot of questions that I wrestle with. This, this, this thing isn't easy. How did Daniel get to that place of boldness? How did he get to that place of great faith? How did he get to that point where when he's a, a young teenager taking a stand, maybe he's almost 
into his 20s, and he's, he's making a stand for his life before the king. When we get to Daniel the Lions, then in Daniel chapter 6, he's in his 80s, and he's still standing strong. How did he get to that point? I, be, I believe one of the main components to Daniel's life that, I, that created that great faith came to his prayer life. As soon as he leaves Arioch, he goes back and he finds his friends, his three closest friends. I find it interesting in verse 17, if you go back in chapter 1, those guys are given Babylonian names. Next chapter, when we get to their stand, Daniel uses their Babylonian name, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that's the name that most of us know and refer to them as. But Daniel goes back here in chapter 2, verse 17, and he refers to them by their Hebrew name. He says, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we need to together, and we need to pray. I need you guys to come with me. We need to sit down. We need to pray over this. We need to pray that, that God reveals this, this mystery, this secret to us. See, I think that was the great component in Daniel's life. One of those ways in which we can plug into God is by talking with him. It's like any other relationship, isn't it? Like for those of us who are married, um, in our relationships, like when, we, when the communication is disconnected, problems occur, don't they? In any relationship, whether it's with a father and his children, a, a husband and a wife, um, at work, whatever it is, whenever the communication is broken or extended, problems begin to occur, don't they? And that's the same thing I believe in our own Christian walk. Like When we break conversation with God, when we, when we stop fellowshipping with Him, when we stop talking with Him, when we stop communicating with Him, what ends up happening is we begin to think that we can handle this ourselves. We begin to, to make our own plans. We begin to, to, to figure it all out on our own rather than trusting in him. And so the first thing Daniel does after making this bold declaration is he goes back with his friends and they begin to pray. And the result of those prayers was an answer. And this is what I find so fascinating. One of my, one of the, I think one of the most fascinating parts, I think, of, of this particular section is this. Daniel gets the answer. And what is Daniel's response when he gets the answer? He, he's asking for an answer. He's, he's praying, God, give me, give me the dream. Let me see what the dream is. Let me know what it is. Let me know what it means. And God reveals it to him. Um, how many of us can think of a time in our lives where we prayed over something? We were praying over, there's a decision that I need to make, or, or, or there's a situation that needs to be dealt with. There's, there's something big in my life, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and then all of a sudden, God answers the prayer. Like, what is our response when that happens? This is what I think is, is awesome. Like, like, I'll be transparent with you. More than likely, if if 
if this book of the Bible was not Daniel, but it was Chad, first off, I would have never become a vegetarian. And more than likely, if I'm in chapter 2 and I'm praying, I'm not nearly as calm as Daniel is. And then if God gives me the word, like God gives me the answer, gives me the dream, as soon as it's released, as soon as he gives it to me, like I'm up, I'm running to the king, and I'm giving him the answers. But Daniel doesn't do that. Like, like he, God gives him the meaning. He gives him all that stuff. And rather than running off and, and like, remember, this is like his life is on the line, isn't it? Like, not even just him, it's his buddies, it's this whole slew of people. They're all depending on Daniel. There's a lot of urgency here. And Daniel gets the answer, and Daniel's response is he stops, and he goes back to God to thank him. I mean, verse 20, he says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He's saying, God, like, you are awesome. Like, you have all the power. You have all the wisdom. He goes on to describe that. He says he changes times and seasons. Like, okay, like, this isn't Tinkerbell and the fairies that are changing the seasons. Like, God, like, you control all the seasons. Like, it's at your fingertips. Like, snow comes because you allow it. The rains come, the green grass, the flowers. Like, that is you, God. He removes kings and sets up kings. As we get to this dream, um, we'll realize that the news that, that Daniel has to deliver isn't good news for Nebuchadnezzar or Babylon. And that's what makes this part even more amazing that this dream doesn't work out well for the Babylonians and Daniel's the one that's going to have to go deliver the news and Daniel stops he's like God you're so good you're so amazing like God you're the one you're the one that allows kings to be kings you're the one who actually builds the nations and allows them to crumble like that in, that in and of itself is amazing. Um, do you, you realize, uh, as I was reading this, um, I had a chance this past week to go to a prayer breakfast. With some, there were some legislators there, and it was, it was, it was really neat to see um, just people in government sharing their testimony, talking about God, and talking about Jesus, and, and things like that. And you know, as I was reading through this, you know, there's, and I'm guilty of this, you know, there's a sense of American arrogance. Um, we can call it pride in our country, and, and guys, I, I believe that America is the greatest country in the world. We have our struggles, our issues, like, like anyone, but, but I believe there's, there's no greater place in America, so this is not me being anti-American, but, but you know, when we get um, into Revelation, like there's no America <laughs> spoken there. Um, and I think sometimes we think like the world always has and always will revolve around the United States of America. Um, I am no scholar on end times and 
all the prophecies. And we're going to struggle through the second half of Daniel together. And one day, maybe in the distant future, we'll go through the book of Revelation, and we're going to mud through it. We're going to figure it out. But, um, but here's the deal. Like, God ordained America. God allowed America to grow to be this great country. But there may be a day that um, he chooses to allow it to fall. Just like he allowed Rome, just like he allowed Babylon and everywhere else. Like, like God's that powerful. God's the one that created us. God's the one that allows us. God's the one that sustains us. God's got these amazing plans. And, and so in our own arrogance, we can't lose sight on this sovereign God. Daniel says, He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge, and knowledge to those who have understanding. And he's the one that reveals all these deep, hidden things. Like, yeah, we might throw a name to an invention. We might talk about Thomas Edison and the light bulb, or we might talk about Steve Jobs and these computers, and we might talk about these different people inventing things, but guys, God was the one who unlocked it for them. God was the one that allowed them to understand it and to see it. And he says, and he knows what is in the darkness. This is kind of a reference to the dream, the king and his wise men there in the darkness. And he knows who's in the light, Daniel and his friends. And to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might. This prayer reminds me in the New Testament. You guys remember when Jesus was walking and he came across these ten lepers. And leprosy was a cruel and disgusting disease back in those days. It would eat up the bodies. They would look awful. And if someone came down with leprosy, they were shunned. They were, they were kicked out of the city. Their, their, their way of, of dealing with it was to get them away from everybody else so they couldn't infect other people. And so you oftentimes in these cities, you'd have these little colonies that would be set up outside the city limits where these people would just kind of congregate together. And Jesus is walking, and he comes across these, these ten lepers. And he heals all ten of them. And he, he tells them, he goes, listen, guys, you go to the priest, show yourselves to the priest, and you'll be healed. And so as, as they leave, as they begin to, to walk away, as they begin to head towards the high priest, they're healed. And this is what, I, I, again, I find amazing, is only one comes back to thank Jesus. Like the other nine, they run back, they, go, they run to the high priest, the priest signs off on them, and they probably run back to their homes, to their families, to whatever. One guy, one of the nine returns, comes back to Jesus and says, thank you. Like how often in our own lives do we do, are we guilty of that same thing? Like we pray over things, like we get people together, we, we pray over it, and, and, and we we worry over it, we're anxious over it, and then if God ordains that it's answered and it comes out 
the way we hope for even better, how often do we immediately go back to God and thank Him for it? Rather than just run around all excited about the answers and all excited about how good things are, and then we forget where it truly came from. Because I, I find it interesting is that at the, the very end of that, Jesus, when, when that man comes back to him, his response to that man was, well, you know, where, I thought there were ten of you. Where are the other nine? And then he says to that man, he goes, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. Meaning this, the difference between him and the rest of those, his faith, his gratitude, helped heal him spiritually, physically, and emotionally. He was connected to Jesus. And I see Daniel doing the same exact thing. Like he gets the answer he was praying for and wanting and looking for and needing. And rather than just taking off and running to deliver the good news, he stops and prays and thanks God for what he did. The last thing I just want us to consider for the last few moments is after he stops and he thanks God, he goes. Now understand this. Daniel now has what we could consider a great deal of leverage. Like he could have used this insight, he could have used this material um, to further himself. Like, he could have gone to, to Ariak and said, okay, Ariak, like, I got it. I know what it means. Uh, I know what the dream is. I know what's causing the dreams. I know what the king's even thinking about. So what's the king going to do for me? Like, what, what, what can I get out of this? What, what position can I get? Maybe, maybe a little promotion would be good. Maybe instead of this little one-bedroom hut, maybe we can talk two stories. Maybe a gold Cherokee chariot. What can I get out of it? Think about this. Besides Daniel and his three buddies, all those other wise men, they're pagans. Like, they believe in a false god. Like, they're going around preaching these false gods. They're influencing thousands of people. They're influencing the king, pushing these false gods. Well, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I just tell the king and, um, and let him get rid of all the rest of those guys. Maybe I can use this to have them all destroyed. This is what I think is awesome. Verse 24 says, Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed, to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. See, Daniel had a true heart for those people. He had a heart for those who didn't know God. He doesn't rub it in the face. He doesn't use this new knowledge for personal gain. 
He uses it to save their lives. I think as believers sometimes, we can become so um, judgmental. Now, we need to judge, and we need to be good discerners. Um, I, I think we always acknowledge what sin is. We never take soft stance on sin. This last week, I, I met somebody new in Tallahassee and um, was telling him a little bit about our church. And um, we were talking about what is church, you know, and, and what is, who are we trying to reach? Who are you trying to reach? What, what kind of people do you want in your church? And I told him, the first message of Redemption Hill on October 6th, 2013 was from John chapter 4, The Woman at the Well. It's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. See, there's this woman um, who is messed up, been married five times, living with another guy, so messed up, like even the community kind of shuns her, like they think, wow, she's bad. To the point where she's going and getting water at a well at times when it was middle of the day. Everybody else would come in the morning or at night, but she was coming in the middle of the day because she didn't want to hear the whispers. And Jesus goes, um, and they're on their way, and this is in Samaria, which is a place the Jews hated and would avoid at all costs. And the Bible tells us at the beginning of, of John chapter 4 that Jesus had to go to Samaria. The disciples are all hungry. Jesus himself is tired and hungry. The disciples go off into Samaria to try and find food and water. And Jesus stays there and talks with this woman. Over the course of that chapter, he shares his love with her. He talks about this true water, this fresh water. This was, by all accounts, like this is an immoral woman. I mean, there's racial barriers going on. There's a lot going against this, but Jesus stops. And he had to go to Samaria for one woman. And the result of his kindness, the result of his love, the result of his compassion, the result of him speaking truth and being firm on it, she finally comes to accept him as her savior. And then she runs to the town and brings the rest of the town with her. So I say all that. I go, I go back and say all this. If our mission statement at Redemption Hill Church is that we exist to glorify God by seeing souls saved and lives changed, that doesn't mean we exist to just see Caucasian, middle, upper class Everyone's got their lives perfectly in line together, people. That means we exist to see souls saved and lives changed. 
my prayer for our church is that we are a church of great diversity in every aspect. This is a place that people can come and be loved on. They can come and feel welcomed. They'll come and learn about Jesus and find their hope and trust in him. That's my prayer. That's my prayer is that Redemption Hill Church is like, we're authentic, we're real with each other. We just say, guys, like, we're all messed up. And like, and if, if you are here today and you're saying, like, listen, I'm not messed up. Like, I, I got everything together. Here's the microphone and take over. Because you guys are staring at the, probably the most messed up person in the room. That we're just real with each other. And we say, like, life is tough. Life is hard. One of the great parts of, of, of our small group ministry has been this. Like, we've broken up into smaller groups, and we begin to, to, to yes, study about God. We, we learn about God, and we learn all these great things about it, but we need to pray for each other. And it's through those small groups, like, like we see hurt in lives. We see struggles. And then we can be the church. We can be real followers of Jesus. We can be like Daniel and come alongside and help. That's my, that's my prayer for us. Like, like God really, like he pricks our hearts and says like, okay, if we're going to truly, if we're going to truly be a church that, that people are going to come and get saved, that means they're going to be unchristian people that come through those doors. And they may not talk the way we all talk. They may not dress the way that we dress. They may not act the way that we act, but that's okay. Our job is to love them like Christ would love them. Let God deal with their hearts. That's my prayer for us. It's my prayer for our church. It's my prayer for me personally. So as we get to this point in Daniel, we see this anxious situation, and we've all wrestled with anxiety. So how do we combat, how do we beat anxiety? How do we get through it? Well, with great boldness, we connect with God. We pray. That doesn't mean one prayer gives us the answer. We may pray months, we may pray years. And we may not get the answer that we want. But just like Daniel said in his prayer of thanksgiving, you're wiser, God, you're stronger, you're amazing. You turn the seasons, you change the kings. I love Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, says the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours. Guys, my vision is here. God's vision, he sees the whole picture. I just see a limited picture. So with great boldness and with great faith, we pray 
and we pray, and we pray, and we pray. We bring others along with us. We connect with our friends, and we pray, and we pray, and we pray. And as we pray, I believe God gives us the boldness. God reveals things to us in his time, not just for our benefit, although we often do benefit from it, but for his honor and for his glory. And then, I think we divert some of our attention away from ourselves and focus it on those who do not know who Christ is and allow us to be the vehicle that God uses. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all the things you've done for us. God, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for Daniel. I thank you. We can read this and we can see this young man, this teenager, who took a stand for you, who purposed in his heart that he would not defile you. And he stayed true to that. And God, I believe the boldness, I believe the faithfulness came from all the time he spent praying to you. You see, he didn't just run to you when he needed something. Daniel chapter 6, we see that he came to you three times a day, every day. Lord, I pray that you allow us to follow his example. God, I, I know, I know most, if not all of us this morning, are wrestling with something in life. It may be big, it may be small, but to us it's big. God, I pray right this second that you help them to turn to you. Help them to stop trying to navigate. Help them to stop trying to plan it out. Help them to remember how powerful you are, how strong you are how all-knowing you are. And that you don't want just our timid little prayers, but you want our big prayers. God, help us to stop wrestling with ourselves and to give it to you. For we love you and we thank you for all the things you've done for us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.